Bring your time, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know it's not your name? You will always be much more to me. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. But that's alright, cause I hear a voice and it calls me redeemed. With others say I'll never be enough. And greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. Oh, in the world.
All right, we got a little help on this next song. Come on, girls, get up here. Get on up here, don't be shy. Right here in the front. Look at these girls. What happened to y'all? What happened to y'all's hair? What happened to your hair? <laughs> All right. I need everybody to get on your feet. I used to give you an option. Not today. Uh, get on your feet. We're going to do this song called Grow, and they're going to show you the motions. So you guys got to join in. I wanna grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me And show, show, show how your love has set me free And go, go, go tell the world so they can see You're amazing Shout it out you're never gonna let me go Shout it out, you are my God Shout it out, my Savior has set me free Not to us, but for your glory oh, Shout it out, you're never gonna let me go Shout it out, you are my God Shout it out my Savior has set me free, not to us, but for your glory. I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me. Show, show, show how your love has set me free. And go, go, go tell the world so they can see you're amazing. Shout it out, oh shout it out, I want the world to see, shout it out, you have changed me, shout it out, my lips will forever sing, not to us but for your glory. Into all that you have for me And show, show, show How your love has set me free And go, go, go Tell the world so they can see Let's sing that again I want to grow I want to grow, grow, grow Into all that you have for me And show, show, show How your love has set me free And go, go, go Tell the world so they can see I'm not ashamed Not ashamed to shout your name. I'm not ashamed to shout your name. I'm not ashamed to shout your name. I'm not ashamed. I want to grow. Grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me And show, show, show how your love has set me free And go, go, go tell the world so they can see I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me And show, show, show how your love has set me free
Sing, go, 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 tell the world so they can see. You're amazing. Oh, you're amazing. Lift him high, all praise to Jesus. Lift him high for all to see. Lift him high, the cross of Calvary, where mercy died to set us free. Adore you, 
heaven bows before you. Worthy is the great I am. Lift him high, all praise to Jesus. Lift him high for all to see. Lift him high, the cross of Calvary. Where mercy died to set us free. Lift him high, all praise to Jesus. Oh, lift him high for all to see. Lift him high, the cross of Calvary. Where mercy died to set us free. Lift him high. If you would, please stand with me as we uh, read the scripture together. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result... He has brought you into his presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I don't know why you love me, but you do. But why you forgive me? For the things that I do the Foolish mistakes I make When I take my eyes off of you I don't know why you love me But you do I don't know why you carry all my shame why you would freely come and die in my place why you would walk my path or why you would even look my way I don't know why you'd carry all my Love me before I knew you, and you forgive me when I cry to you, and so I thank you. I lay my life before you. 
you gave your life so I could live and so this life I freely give you gave your life so I could live and so this life I freely Yeah. 
boxes for the first time is just, it's incredible. We are so excited. Many of the celebrities in the shoe boxes for the first time in their life. We pray that these boxes will be used to bring a lot of happiness and joy, but more importantly, the gospel to each heart, all these little children around the world. No greater need and no greater time than right now for us to go out and serve boldly. Oh my goodness! This is what these shoe boxes are all about, to go out and to bring a hope of Jesus Christ around the world. I'm just so amazed at what God does each and every year. This is an opportunity to impact the lives of millions of children, just like you've seen. 
but we need more boxes for next year. Every box is an opportunity for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you, and God bless each and every one. of it. That's why we're doing our countdown. Has everybody been keeping up with where we are? Who knows what this week is? Number five? Who's got it? Oh, come on. It's the wow item. It's the wow item. So anyway, y'all keep looking in our uh, digital bulletin to see what we've, what items we're collecting. Um, We're about to get ramped up big time this week. Um, The cartons are coming and all of our supplies for our collection week. And so um, out here in our lobby next weekend, y'all, next Sunday you'll see that we'll have all of our stuff. We'll start our sign-ups for volunteers. Um, we'll need a crew of people. I don't know if you haven't been here before, it takes, about, it takes an army. Um, we have sign-ups for every night for a whole week, or every day for a whole week, two different shifts. Um, so we're, we're collecting shoeboxes from the community, from churches in our community, and then on the Monday, um, the 22nd, I believe, the last Monday of collection week, we have um, shoeboxes coming from other collection sites that will load onto our, the, the semi-truck trailers. So um, it's an exciting week. We have a lot going. Um, it's hard to believe that we really only have about five weeks before that last Sunday. So um, it'll be here before we know it. And so for those of you that don't know all about Operation Christmas Child. It was started in 1993 when a man from England asked Franklin Graham for help. He saw that there was a need in Bosnia for the children in that war-torn country, and he said, can y'all help me? And just that year, they collected 28,000 boxes in one year. And just that's a handful of churches that Franklin Graham asked to help. Okay, since then, since 1993, over 188 million shoeboxes have been collected for children. That's amazing. Um, let's see. And last year, nine million, over 9 million boxes were collected just last year in the middle of a pandemic. So God can use the shoeboxes. Um, it says every box is an opportunity to reach a child with the gospel. Think of that. 188 million over the past years. I mean, that's, that's pretty unbelievable, and we're a part of that. So just, y'all, the, the sign-up will be next weekend, um, starting. If you have any questions, feel free to let me know. There's still time to do packing parties if you're interested in that. Um, I can help you with all the ideas, anything that you want help with, with supplies, everything. So, okay, moving on. Not only am I a big part of... Um, helping set up the team for Operation Christmas Child. I'm also on uh, Carpenter's Way Mission Investment Team. And so for those of you who don't know, that team is a team of five of us, plus Jared and Robert, our associate pastors, um, who um, basically decide where all of our mission money is going to go throughout the year. It's a big job. We're in the middle of that right now. As soon as our budget gets finalized and everything, we'll decide for next year's missionaries and mission organizations. So I just wanted to give you all a little bit of update on some of our missionaries, mission organizations, because we don't always do that. And uh, I think it's good for you all to know what all is going on. So um, like I said, the cartons from Operation Christmas Child will be coming this week. 
um, we'll start signups. And so um, one of the missionary mission organizations that we partner with is SI Guatemala. And so they are super excited. Um, they, this, there's a first for their ministry. They've been ministering in the uh, communities of Magdalena and El Gorion in, Magdal in uh, Guatemala for 20 years. And next month is the first time they're sending out 12 students on a mission trip. So from Guatemala, they're sending 12 students and the, and the, the team to uh, Costa Rica. And so they are super excited. They're in the middle of fundraising for that. So um, it's really fun and interesting for us to see, you know, we're the missionaries that usually go in, but now they're sending out people and students. And that's what, that's what this is all about. So. We have, um, we have Cassidy Eberlin that's in Haiti. Y'all, she's struggling right now. Haiti is a mess. She's safe, but Haiti's still a mess. This, she's getting married um, in the next week or so. I can't remember. And she, her heart is hurting for her country. She's not sure if all the plans she has maybe will work out or not. So we need to be praying for Cassidy and her ministry there in Haiti. Um, all the students she works with all the plans she has for her wedding, you know. Even missionaries have dreams about how, how their life and how their plans should go. You know, it may be that God has other plans, but however, we need to be praying for her and her heart and um, just that she will be okay with what God has for her there in Haiti. So um, also, we've got Kent and Amy Embleton. They're, they're with Mission Aviation Fellowship. They, um, they're kind of in limbo right now. They're headed to Indonesia. Indonesia's closed. They can't go there. So they're, they're waiting. They're, they're, still, they're doing what they need to do. They're, they're working on their language here. But, you know, the real, the real way to learn language is to be totally immersed. And they're ready to be, be in Indonesia doing what the Lord has called them to do. So just pray for them as they are having to be patient and um, learn here in the United States instead of in Indonesia. So, um, you know... Missionaries are all over. We have local organizations that need our prayer. We have Pregnancy Help Center. They're coming up November 4th as their big fundraising banquet. If you're interested in that, we can get you information on that. Um, we need to be praying for them. They, um, they've gone through changes this year, and change is not always bad, but they still need prayer. Um, you know, new, new people, new, new blood. Um, it always makes for fun times. So... Um, these are also, these are our local ministries, are, you can go and volunteer if you're interested in, in that. Um, our Christian Men's Job Corps and Mosaic Center, they're, they're nearing the end of their uh, class, this semester's class. Um, we need to pray for the students, for the volunteers, teachers, so the students can finish strong, so that the, the volunteers and teachers will have the energy to do what they need to share God's love with them. So Salvation Army. Let's see, when Black Friday hits, they're going to be out ringing the bells. If you want to volunteer, call them up. If you, if you don't know the number, we'll find it for you. So um, this week I heard something that was interesting. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. If you're, call, if you're a Christian, you're called to be a missionary. It may not look like going to be a, a pilot in Indonesia. It may not look like running an orphanage school um, in Haiti. It may look like volunteering at your local ministries. It may, be look, it may look like rocking babies in the nursery. 
It may look like, oh gosh, it could look like anything. It may, it may look like going and minister, ministering to homeless people in the park. Um, we have those ministries in town. There are so many things. If you feel called to do it, we can find you somewhere to plug in, or we can help you get started in that organization or with, with that organization or opportunity. So just know um, missions are, are big. We need to be doing something. If you're, like I said, if you're a Christian, you're called to be a missionary. It may be just raising your babies and reading the Bible with them and singing them Bible songs and just teaching them about the love of Christ. So anyway, be praying for everything, all of our missionaries, all of our mission organizations. We have a lot going on. Um, we're going to be busy all the way through the end of the year. We'll get a little reprieve probably in January, and then we'll ramp back up in February for our missions month. So um, it's going to be exciting. So y'all, y'all be a part of it. If you get when you're when you're involved, it helps you get more excited and want you know just so you'll know what's going on. So we have th- those um, groups and missionaries that I talked about. That's just a small part of of what we do as a church. So y'all get plugged in. Thanks so much. For those of you who do not know, Chastity and Jeremy have been vocational missionaries as well and are passionate for the gospel. And uh, we as a church are passionate for the gospel. And uh, we do, I want to, if you give, then it goes to missions. Uh, these missionaries come, uh, the support comes out of our budget. Uh, if you have been in a Baptist, Southern Baptist church, most of the time they just, uh, the, the offerings go all towards the, the general budget of the local church and then they take two special offerings a year. We take a, a, a significant percentage, I think it's about 16% of our budget, right off the top goes to mission work, international and local. And it's, and it's actually significantly more than that when you add in our short-term missions and stuff. So you are involved if you give, so give. That's part of participation. Uh, participate. Uh, that means we got Operation Christmas Child coming up. Be involved in that. It just takes time. Not going to take you much money. Just just involve yourself in time. And then uh, as other things come up, ringing a bell. We do support the Salvation Army. Uh, and the reason is they do ministry to certain uh, demographic and needs so much better than we ever could. And so we're supportive of that, just like Seasons of Hope and, and these others mentioned. So be involved in them and uh, continue your regular giving as we're able to support them. Let's take a moment and pray for Haiti. Let's pray for Cassidy. She's got a big couple weeks coming up. She's supposed to move into her house, I think, next week and supposed to get married next week. And uh, there's a lot going on in that nation, in case you are not aware. I think it was, what is it, 17 evangelical missionaries were kidnapped and they are being threatened that if they don't pay a million dollars for each of them, they will be killed. Uh, we are familiar with that mission because it comes out of where Julie's at in Ohio. And uh, they do a lot of fundraising up there. So we're familiar with the organizations that they're involved in. And they do really good work. So let's just take a moment and pray. And then we'll jump into our, our message this morning. Father, we thank you that you hear us here and you minister there. And uh, we think of our sister Cassidy that we are so impressed with and so proud of her faithfulness, her commitment, her passion for this nation that you've called her to. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we ask that you continue to protect her. Father, we pray that you would provide for her the funds she needs to finish her house, that you would guide her her mission in the future with all that's going on in that nation. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would protect her, you'd provide for her. We pray for her a blessing on she and her fiancé as they get married next week. And uh, Lord, 
Thank you that we get to participate with Cassidy and these other ministries, that we get to participate with them, not just in giving, but in prayer and service as well. So may we be faithful to our task here in East Texas as we encourage those who are abroad. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ah, man, this is one of those messages I wish I wasn't preaching. I wish I was sitting with you in my living room and kind of talking through it because the text we're going to be in this morning is actually one of those texts that if you're just reading through Galatians, your brain kind of goes, oh, Ishmael and Isaac and Abraham and Sarai and okay, what's the stuff that affects me? But man, Paul is such a great uh, defender of the faith. He is such, the, the whole reason that he, he wrote this book that we're studying together right now in this season, the book of Galatians, is he is contending for the faith. He is fighting for the faith. He is struggling with the gospel because the, the churches in the region of Galatia that he planted on his first missionary journey, that the Lord allowed him to plant, have been diverted. They, were, they accepted Christ Jesus' offer to save them through faith in Christ alone. And now they are beginning to move back. They have a major problem. They have begun to try to become better Christians by adopting some of the Hebrew Old Testament laws. Okay, so now for those of you who feel like that's a million miles away, how could they do that? How stupid are they? Let me just tell you that I have been pastoring now for 40 years, and in all, I grew up in a church that did missions in San Diego to uh, Jewish people or Hebrew, the people of a Hebrew upbringing. And I got to tell you, something weird happens in the brain of a Gentile when they start learning Jewish things. Very few of them stay balanced. All of a sudden, they have a Passover, and we've had a Seder here. And uh, they do a Passover Seder, and they love the meal so much, it's like, oh, I learned so much. We should do the other six uh, meals. And, and then all of a sudden, it's like, why do we meet on Sunday? Because the Sabbath is Saturday. It's like mind blown. You know, the church calls Sunday the Christian Sabbath. It's not. Saturday is the Sabbath. Actually, it's Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. They start learning more stuff, and they want to adopt those as part of their life. Because why? You feel closer to God when you're doing. That's not true, but we're all about feeling. And I want to remind you that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, I almost said Abraham and Eve. Adam and Eve, I'm not good at this job. I've told you that. I walked in one day to see if there was a janitorial position. They said, sure, we'll hire you. And they put me up here. But, but the fact is that Adam and Eve, who walked with God in the cool of the garden every day, they had actual fellowship with God, face-to-face -face fellowship with Yahweh. They walked with him in the cool of the garden. There was a fruit in the middle of the garden. He said, don't eat that fruit. But it says that when Eve saw that the fruit was delicious, that it was beautiful, it was delicious, and it was desirable to make her wise, she took, ate, and gave to her husband. Ever since the garden, even before sin was part of our nature, we have tried to improve our position by following feeling instead of God. And that's why the Ten Commandments get attractive to non-Jewish people. Because it makes us feel like we're doing something. We're all looking, especially as American Christians. We are all, we believe in personal responsibility. And when you come to Texas, it's twice as strong. You know, we have, uh, come and get it. We can take you on. We're ready. We're ready to fight. That's the culture. But we do think that everything kind of rests in our hands. And the problem is that when it comes to spiritual things, only God can save. Only God can transform. Well, this church believed that, but some false teachers from Jerusalem had come in 
and begun to convince them that they could do stuff to become better Christians. So the first four chapter and a half chapters we've studied already in Galatians teach us basically three major things. Number one, salvation or adoption or a right relationship with God is only had through faith in Christ alone. Not through works. Not through the Ten Commandments. Not through being religious enough. But faith in Christ's work alone. Number two, salvation or this adoption or a right relationship with God is not based on religion or works or the Hebrew laws, but on allowing God to put the penalty of our sin on Jesus. So this is the point. People are not saved, nor do they remain saved because they improve themselves, but rather because God promised he would save them. Uh, we hear all the time, we live in a love culture. Um, and so the main message of the gospel for most Christians is God loves you, John 3.16, and sent his son to die for you. But I would like to make clear that Paul's argument is it is not the love of God that saves you or keeps you. It's the promises of God. The reason, one of the reasons there's so much struggle with the thought you could lose your salvation is because our love is conditional. I will stay married as long as you don't have an affair. I will stay married to you or I will love you as long as you don't offend me. I will. There are conditions. And so we think that God must have some conditions even if we say he doesn't. There must be some limit. If everybody knew what I did, God, he, he can't love me. The problem with that is you are basing God's faithfulness to you on on your definition of love. When in reality, Paul's argument is, it is not based on you at all. In fact, God promised himself through Abraham to save you. He promised himself. So our security for eternal life through Jesus Christ alone is not based upon our worthness, goodness, or even worthiness. It is purely based on the promises that God made to himself. If, in fact, he breaks those promises, God is not God. He's not holy. He's not honorable. He's not honest. And, and I, would, I would wrestle with you Christians, those of you who are part of our church and believe in salvation, you've got to hold firm, not to the love of God, but to the promises of God. Why did he make those promises? Because he loves us. But your firm foundation in eternal life is purely and completely founded in the promises of God. So number one, salvation is only through faith in Christ alone. Number two, that, the, the completion of your salvation, your future, is not dependent upon your faithfulness, your goodness, your adherence to Jewish law or anything else or religiosity. It is contingent upon God keeping his promise. He made a promise. And the third thing is, uh, is Paul explains why then the law was even given. It seems like it's a distraction to us as Gentiles. If the law doesn't save you, then why did he give it? And we studied last week that there were two reasons for the law. One is as a strict guardian for the followers of Yahweh in the Old Testament until he sent his son to die on the cross and remove our sin. Uh, it was to guide and direct. The law of the Old Testament is found in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's where the law is found. It's not Ten Commandments, but it was replaced by God sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, removing our sin, and replacing the strict order of the law with the Holy Spirit who guides and directs. You need to get this in your brain because we're going to really get into this in a couple weeks. We Baptists, 
you assemblies of God, and we've got both, about half and half here who grew up in those churches. But the problem is that the Baptist church thinks that the only role of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin. The, the, the charismatic or the, uh, or, or the more charismatic members of the body of Christ think that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes you tear up during worship services. The fact is he may do both, but what he really does is he comes to live within, within and guide and direct. So you no longer need ten commandments. You just need an ear that hears the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction. Did you, did you hear that? You, the law has been replaced with the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to you. Now, there's a problem with that if you're a self-help person or you're a legalist. The problem with that is, I don't hear him talking. That takes discipline. You've got to shut up to hear God talk. And we don't shut up very well. We're so busy arguing for what we believe, we don't listen. When was the last time you took a walk in the forest and didn't talk and just listened for the Lord? When was the last time you said that you actually prayed about, I don't know, I could get really silly here, anything? Lord, I need you to talk to me today. When was the last time you started your day by saying, God, today is yours. I'm not going to do anything out of the ordinary unless you tell me. I'm going I'm to listen. I'm going to discipline myself to listen for your voice. That takes discipline, and there's lots of noise. So it's easier to follow the law. Legalism is way easier than the law. Why? Because the, our uh, legalism is easier than a relationship through the Holy Spirit because it's, it's not nuanced. Relationships are complicated. And, and the legalism is easy. Don't drink, don't dance, don't smoke. That's all it takes to be a good Christian? I'll check, check, check. I told you last week that in East Texas, uh, you can go to a funeral and you will declare a guy who hasn't been to church since he was three years old, but he stayed faithful to his wife and they'll declare him as a good Christian man. The problem with that is that's not what follower of Jesus Christ, how it's defined. Just because you're faithful to your wife, that may make you a good human and a good husband, but it doesn't make you a good child of God. Being a good child of God is when the government says, carry my backpack for a mile, and it's not fair, they're encroaching upon you, and you say, I'll carry it too. That's the value system of the kingdom. It's not the value system of the law. The value system of the kingdom doesn't say, you're encroaching upon my personal uh, pursuit of happiness. I'm actually here to introduce you to Jesus, even if I have to give up my happiness to do it. That goes against our nature as Americans. We have married nationalism. We've married religion. We've married even going to church with a personal relationship with God. And while there may be elements of each of those things, and legalism and following the Holy Spirit may look alike, they are night and day different. Just because a man never has an affair it does not mean he's a good husband. He may beat his wife when the door's closed. Just because a man doesn't beat his wife doesn't make him a good husband. He may make her do everything around the house. Just because a wife is sweet when she's out of the house doesn't mean she's great to live with. I mean, the truth is, we're talking about it. Several of these men looked at their wives. Don't do that when I say things like that. Just look at me. Just stare at me. But the truth is that we are talking about being born again into a new life and the beginning of a transformation that happens from the inside out. And I would like to go ahead and admit from the pulpit that legalism is easier than letting the Holy Spirit transform you. Because legalism, we all agree with, especially if it's built on the Ten Commandments. Don't steal people's stuff. Don't kill people. Don't sleep with other people's wives. Don't take money that doesn't belong to you. I mean, you just go down the list. And by the way, take a day off a week. I mean, it's all like, yeah, I like that stuff. 
Those are things we teach most kindergartners, nine of the ten. The problem is, that's not what it means to have a personal, intimate relationship with God and be transformed. You see, being transformed is, is the Holy Spirit living within you and guiding you every moment of every day. And then the moment after that, and the moment after that, it's a relationship, it's listening. And these people are struggling with that. So let's pick up our text right where we left off last week. Because in today's text, and I'm going to go ahead and give the end of it, and we're going to take communion. And before we do, I know a lot of you didn't get communion cups. So Brad, where are you? I, I, and maybe a couple other elders can prepare to hand them out as, uh, before. And I'll, I'll let you know when. But I want to, I want to go ahead and give you the punchline. What Paul is, actually, let me get you the setup first. Thank you for coming back to Carpenter's Way. I think he was down the street. Brad, Brad just walked back in. I was talking to you for about five minutes, Brad. What I told you is where the gold was hidden. Come on, think about it. That's funny. Look at Galatians 4.21. This is where we left off last week. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you actually know what the law says? Okay, pause. Okay, this is so good. This is, this is why I wish we were not preaching, we were just talking. This is a, this is a woe Paul line. Now, context, right? Context is everything. So, shots fired here. And here's why. Because the answer is no. They had very little idea of what the, the law taught. And, and I want to add, you have very, in the same way that they had very little idea of what the law taught, and I'm not slamming you, you have very little idea of what the law teaches. I mean, I know you know the Ten Commandments, and I know you know about circumcision, but do you know that on top of those, there's 613 other laws? And if I were to say, even in a room that has some Hebrew scholars in this room, if I were to say, I want you to tell me 50 of those other laws, we could come up probably together corporately with about 25. If you guys want to hand those out, I see that Kip is doing that. So if you guys, they're going to come by and they'll give you communion. And uh, don't, don't take a shot. It's not a shot glass. It's communion. So, but, but um, there are 16, 613 other laws. And it's like, whoa, I thought there were 10. No, there's 16 and 13, 613 others. That's how little we know of the law. Unless you intentionally studied it. I mean, it deals with things like what happens when you actually accidentally kill somebody's cow. It tells us how to deal with somebody who, who steals something from our property. It tells us how to deal with somebody who's starving. Did you know that? There's laws about starving. It tells us where to put our tents. Depending on the tribe you're at, it tells you where to put your tents. It tells you how to deal with the waste from your family. It tells you as a man when you can have sex with your wife and, and, and when you cannot. It tells you when you can worship and when you can't. I mean, there's 613 others, and his question is so powerful. These people that are now following the law, these people he led to Christ, his point is, do you even know what the law teaches? It's such a great question. They were Gentiles. The answer is no. When they were Gentile unbelievers, they cared nothing for the Jews. In fact, if you've watched The Chosen at all, the culture in those shows are awesome, you realize they didn't like the Jews any more than the Jews didn't like them. They looked at them as the scum of the earth. They were dogs. They were like waste. 
Why would a Roman citizen, a Gentile, study Hebraic things at all? That was those people over there. There was prejudice between the two groups, and especially from Rome to Judaism. They looked down on those people. And why would you study their God? The Roman culture had dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of gods to worship. The God of the Jews, Yahweh, was the least of all gods. On the other hand, you've got Paul who's asking this question, who has an incredible pedigree. I mean, this guy, this guy was not only a Roman citizen, yes, but he was raised by Jewish parents. His training was impeccable. It is reasonable to believe, it is reasonable to believe that when Jesus Christ was being tried before he was hung, that, that Paul or Saul at that time was actually a, a, a Jewish leader in training who would actually have been there supporting the council as they said, crucify him. When you look at the timeline, he would have been a young, up-and-coming, future Pharisee. He was trained by the teacher of all teachers among the Pharisees. Paul had it going on. He not only knew the law, he studied the law. He was the Osama bin Laden of the Jewish conservatives who was so committed to the law, he believed that the law was in fact God, that he was arresting, uh, torturing, chasing, and aiding in the killing of Jesus' followers after the ascension. And Paul begins this section of Scripture by saying in, G in Galatians 4, 21-29, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you even know what the law actually says? And the answer, of course, if you're one of the people reading this is, I think so. To which Paul said, let me school you. And this next section that we have a tendency to read over is such a powerful statement. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you now what he's about to say. And we're going to go back into Genesis and look at it because this case is powerful. Paul is basically going to say, let me instruct you beyond even the law and tell you, tell you what it looked like by the patriarch of Judaism. Let me show you what it looked like to actually try in your flesh to be righteous. And that's what this is about. Verse 22. Here we go, Louise. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. And this is when you start nodding off. But this is important. Two Gentiles who don't really know the story. Verse 23. The son of the slave wife, you know her as Hagar, I added that, was born. So this would be Ishmael. So the son of the slave wife Hagar, which is Ishmael, was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Now everything you know about Hagar and Ishmael, plug into that. That's his point. His point is, Abraham and Sarah tried to help God fulfill his promises. Now do you see the connection? We are saved through faith in Christ alone, right? But all of a sudden, after a while, we start wanting to help God along with the Ten Commandments, with Judaism. And he goes, let me tell you what it looks like, you who don't even know what the law says, you know maybe ten of them, 
Let me tell you what it looks like when people in their flesh try to be righteous, try to keep the law. And he starts by saying the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife, we're talking about Sarah, we're talking about her son Isaac, was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Do you get it? Okay, I want you to get this because I want to re- just keep reiterating for the next 20 minutes. This is really, really important. What he's saying is, let me take you back to the story they're not telling you, these Judaizers who are trying to convince you you need to be more Jewish. I'm going to go 450 years before the law was even born to the one that God made a covenant with that the law is based on, and I'm going to tell you something. He screwed it up. Him and his wife screwed it up when they tried to take God's promises and fulfill them on their own. You're trying to make sure that God doesn't reject you. You're trying to make sure God keeps his promise to save you by the Jewish law. Well, I'm here to tell you that they did the exact same thing. These two women are an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. So it's like, I have no idea what he just said, right? Keep reading. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. You get it? So all he's doing here, forget all the little details. All Paul is doing is saying, do you even know what the law says? To which they go, I think so. I must not. Paul says, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what the law does. Those who try to keep the law by human effort, they're the ones who gave birth to Ishmael. And boy, is that screwed up. They would have known exactly because even to this day, we still have a problem with the non-Jews and the Jews in that region of the world because of Ishmael. That is what happens when you take God's promises into your own hands. How many of you, know, the world is looking at the church and sees her as angry. People who need Jesus because, of their, uh, because they're sinners, no matter what their sexual orientation is or what their political stand is, they hear Christians so angrily telling them that they're going to go to hell because they have broken God's commands. Can I be clear? You do not go to hell because you've broken God's commands. You go to hell because your sin You are by, uh, it tells us in the scriptures that you are born under the wrath of God and Jesus Christ came to take that wrath on his body, on the tree, on your behalf. If you are gay, an adulterer, a liar, a thief, or a self-righteous Christian, you're not going to hell because of those things. Those are things that tell you that you have a problem. That's what Galatians 5 is about. If you are rebellious to your parents, if you are disrespectful to people, if you don't have joy, then your problem isn't that you're not doing joyful things. The problem is that your heart is not right with God. You are not listening to the Holy Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. The fruit of the flesh is self-righteous anger. If you're posting on the Internet for political reasons, is attacking the way somebody looks, or how you feel about them, that is not God. No matter how you feel about them. 
If you want to have a debate online about political truth, that's one thing. But if you have to attack the people, that's not of God because we believe in sacred, uh, not sacred marriage, we believe that life is sacred. It's not okay. I mean, I've had people say to me recently, well, Jesus got angry at the temple and he turned tables over. He got angry at religious leaders who were selling what was free. The truth is that when we try to do things in our power, we end up with an Ishmael who is loved by God, but a problem for the world. And that's all this is about. Let me show you my Gentile friends. And if you're Jewish, you can listen in. Let me show you, my Gentile friends, what it looks like when God starts a Hebrew nation with one guy, and this is what he was like. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It's the beginning of the covenant God makes with some dude named Abram. They did not have a relationship. He's living with his daddy. He's extremely wealthy. And the Lord says to this guy, Abraham, leave your entire, your native country. Leave your relatives and your father's family, which, by the way, would include your brother and his kids. That would mean your nephew. You know where I'm going with this? Okay, stay with me. And I want you to go to the land that I'll show you. Here's the promises. God's promising Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the wor world or the earth will be blessed through you. And by the way, the New Testament tells us that that blessing is salvation for anyone and everyone who wants to be saved. Of any nation, of any generation, of any genetic group. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That was God's promises to him. His response? So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. That's an 80% obedience. Because God told him not to take his father's family. He could take his wife. He could take his own children. He might even be able to take his own slaves. But he was not to take his father's family. And he takes Lot with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left the harem. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot. Okay, so Moses is twice reminding us that he takes Lot. And all of his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. And he headed for the land of Canaan. So, what we know is, before the 613 laws, there's a guy named Abraham. God meets with him face to face, says, I've chosen you to bless the world with a nation. It's going to be a Hebrew nation. And all I want you to do is leave your daddy and his family, leave your wealth, just, just leave everything there and go over here. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make you bl a blessing to the world. I'm going to give you kids. And his first move is 80% obedience. He's trying to help God along. And he takes Lot. And I'm not going to spend any time talking about Lot. But anybody who spent any time in the Old Testament knows that Lot is a mess. From the very beginning when Abraham, they are looking at land and there's not enough land for both of their, their, uh, their flocks. And so Abraham says, which, which land would you like, Lot? And, land, and it says that Lot took the best of the land. <laughs> and then he goes and it turns out to be he moves to Sodom and Gomorrah. We all know about that. I mean, this guy is a thorn in his, his, uh, his uncle's side. But Abraham loved him, and he takes him. So let's move on. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, which is where Abraham's now living, forcing Abraham to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, now 
We have children in this room, and I have never filtered before, but I'm going to filter now because I'm tired of parents bringing their kids, saying, Pastor Mark, would you please explain this phrase to that child? You win, I give up. So watch what he does. So he's going to Egypt. Now remember, God has just told him, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to take care of you, you're going to be a blessing. As he's approaching the border of Egypt, Abraham says to his wife, Sarai, look, honey, you are a beautiful woman. She smiled. Hey, when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife? Let's kill him so we can have her. He's not very thoughtful. So, please tell them that you're my sister, and then they'll spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Yeah, you can laugh. That is so weird. That is so twisted. I'm not even going to spell the word out, but there's a whole livelihood since the history of man that's involved in using women to get your way. And that's what this is. And it doesn't happen once. It happens twice. And what's he doing? He's giving his wife away for others to use so that he can live. Abraham's such a great patriarch for the nation. What a pig. You can say it. It's okay. Because this is what it looks like when you don't trust God who says, I'm going to take you into this land. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do all this. And you're going to, every nation that blesses you is going, to bl- is going to be blessed. I'm going to take care of you. This is what happens when you go, oh, but I don't think God realizes that I could be killed by Egyptian pharaohs. This is what it looks like when we go, God, I don't think you're, you understand what's going on in America. Whenever we take things into our own hands, we screw it up. And he's already done it twice. I wish that was the only time, though. He keeps going. Chapter 13, let's jump to there. Then the Lord said to Abraham, look as far as you can see. So the Lord ends up having to fix that, okay? And he does. So we jump to chapter 13, and the Lord said to Abraham, look as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west. I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they can't be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction. I'm giving it to you. Wherever you can walk, that's your land. Chapter 15, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision, and he said, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? (laughs) What an idiot. God just promised to protect you. He promised you a child. He promises you land. But like us, we kind of go, I don't see it. I mean, we've all read the prophecy that the world is going to unite and Christians are going to be martyred and there's going to be a mark of the beast. We better vote right or there's going to be a mark of the beast. How stupid have we become? Seriously. I know that a lot of you are into prophecy and that's great. It's interesting. It's fascinating. But you realize the reason prophecy was given to us was as a hope, not a terror. It was not to activate us politically. It was not to keep us uh, determining how to vote. That's not what it was. It was to say, look, when the vote goes bad, it's going to be just fine. I got this. But just like this, Abraham goes, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are your blessings when I don't even have a son since you've given me no children? I guess Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, Listen, bonehead, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. By the way, the Hebrew in that means you're going to have 
a genetic son. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and he said to him, look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you're going to have, man. And Abraham believed the Lord, oh, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So he actually believed it was going to happen. Good for him. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land of possession. Verse 8. But once again, instead of keeping his mouth shut, Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it. Oy vey. The Trinity must have looked at each other and went, Did, are you sure you meant Abram? Didn't you mean another person? How can I be sure? Then the Lord brought him, uh, told him, bring me a, a three-year-old effer, a three-year-old female goat. And then you remember, we just studied this recently, and God makes a covenant with himself. This is where that promise takes place at the end of this chapter. It says that God promised Abram and himself, Christ, according to Galatians, that they would keep their promises, and if this covenant is not upheld, that Jesus would be slaughtered. That's basically what happens here. So God even makes a plan for when the Jews break it. And another beautiful response to God who made these clear promises to Abraham is in the very next chapter, 16. Now watch this. This is funny. Actually, this should be freeing because you're looking at your future if you're a legalist. If you think that keeping the Ten Commandments is going to get you into heaven, this should free your soul. Because nobody had it better than these guys. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, gave her uh, to Abraham as a wife. This happened ten years after Abraham settled in the land of Caban. Canaan. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar uh, knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And why wouldn't she? That's what people do. Then Sarai said to Abraham, this is all your fault. And all God's husbands said, nothing. Because I know what you're thinking. It might be true, but we don't ever want to admit it out loud. You gave her to me. That would not be the right things to say. You just lower your head and say, wow. It gets ugly. This is what happens when you take God's promises into your own hands. So, let's see. What verse are we in? Oh, you put... Leave those verses up there so I know, because sometimes I go off rails. So Abraham, uh, verse 4, we'll jump there. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar. She became pregnant. Verse 5, then Sarai said to Abraham, this is all your fault. <laughs> Sorry. I put my servant into your arms. And now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. What a mess. And Abraham responds. Verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, regarding your wife, Sarai, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her, bonehead. I've already said that, but do I need to say it more clear? I'm going to give her a son. I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Abraham's response? Then Abraham bowed, who's been, his name's been changed, bowed low to the ground, and he laughed to himself in disbelief. Okay, I'm the only one who thinks that's hilarious. 
What's it going to take for this guy? Probably about the same as it takes for us. Because we don't put our hope in God's promises. We put our hope in our ability to make sure he keeps his promises. Is that not the church today? That's what they're doing here. So he laughs to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And that is totally reasonable from a human perspective, right? Well, they're dealing with Yahweh, God himself. How can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. What? He just said that Sarah's going to have a baby. But God replied, No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. And so God does. Well, having to continually fix the things that Abraham breaks by doing things in his flesh that God promised to do in his power, he keeps his promises because God cannot break his promises. Let's forgive love for a second. He's made promises. Do you know what his promises are? Then stop talking and start studying. Because he promised to redeem you if you call on the name of the Lord. He promised to seal you if you call on the name of the Lord. He promised to transform you if you will let him. I just don't know that many of us really want to be transformed. It's complicated and hard and it's self-deprecating. When people mock you, you pray for them. This kingdom is weird. When people spit at you, you don't spit back. When people persecute you, you actually pray for their salvation and you love them. When the government asks you to do something so outrageous like carrying their water, you offer to carry it an extra mile. Those are the teachings of Jesus. When they ask you for taxes, you pay them. I don't want to pay them. Abraham didn't want to wait on Sarah. And you screw it up. Now let me read for you Galatians 4, 22 through 31 again. After asking them, do you even know what the law says? He said, let me fill in the gap for you of what it looks like. The scripture says that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Let that sink in because that's the point. The two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. Uh, I'm going to jump down to verse 28, Louise. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. Salvation and your kept salvation has less to do with you and I not going to hell than it does about the character of God. While we have made everything about people, you don't want to go to hell, do you? You can have a better life. 
You can be a patriot. Whatever things we've made Christianity to look like. God is saying, none of those things are what keeps you. What keeps you is me. I've made a promise. The holiness of God, the awesomeness of God, the transcendence of God. We've lost who God is, and that's what makes all of this so mushy. God is rarely the center of the church anymore. The church has become the center of the church, and God's over here, <clears throat> excuse me, when we need Him. The church teaches morality, teaches marriage, teaches raising kids, and oh, by the way, be a godly parent. When the whole point is, be a godly man, and you will be a godly husband. Be a godly woman, and you will be a godly parent. Be a godly child. Obey God, and you will respect your parents. We've lost that. Why? Because it takes God too long to make it happen. What if we've lost too much in the middle? You lose nothing when you are in God's plan. I'm as frustrated as you are with the world. And this is being thrown back into my face nonstop. Oh God, I forgot how big you are. God is not in heaven today going, can you believe that Biden can't do a speech without stuttering? And he's not in heaven going, we got to get Trump back into office because he was robbed of the election. Oh, man, Holy Spirit, what were you doing that day? I was out smoking. God knows what's going on. He is uniquely and personally involved in everything that is happening. And church, we got to get back into his good, his plan. We got to get, I almost said good graces. That's the opposite of what this is. You are in his good graces. The question is if you want to be. We have to trust that God who made us promises will keep them. And the only way you'll do that if you believe and understand how big God is. We may lose our country. We may lose our freedoms. We may lose whatever fill in the blank. We will never lose God because He promised I will never leave you or forsake you. Yeah, but God, I know that to be true, but I know what kind of life I want. Well, now you know who you worship. That's exactly what they wanted. These were bad people. They were people that thought they could become better Christians by learning the law. By doing it themselves. Abraham and Sarah, this isn't even really about the law. It's about trust. Abraham and Sarah didn't even have the law. They just had the promises of God that they refused to believe he was capable of taking care of. And because of that, we've got Ishmael. Crazy story. But my Gentile friends, that's the story of the Old Testament, and that's why you need to read it. Because you need to understand that by the time you get to Luke chapter 2, there's no hope for humanity except God throwing himself into our story and going, I'll tell you what, I've got another plan. And that plan is called mercy and grace. What do I have to do to get it? Believe. Then what? Nothing. But I invite you to follow me. I don't want to follow you. Either did Abraham. And look what it got him. Church. He's not only a better hope, he's our only hope.
And we've been studying this stuff now for about two months. And I think it's a great time for us to take a moment this morning and say, okay, everything is in your lap. So that's what we're going to do in communion. I saw the guys uh, rudely interrupting my message by handing out communion elements. That's what happens when you take things into your own hands. You disrupt. But you realize what we're doing when we take this. We're doing several things. It's not just a remembrance service. It's so much more. It is, uh, it's not going to save you. But when you take the bread, you realize that Jesus, not just for 33 years, but look what he endured in order to redeem us. This Abraham guy is a total nut job. I mean, we think, if God would come meet with me and tell me exactly what he's going to do, I would be a much more faithful servant. Well, apparently that's not true. We still will be just as rebellious and we'll still take everything into our own hands. And God didn't once give up. He let his body be broken to pay for our selfishness and our foolishness, even as followers of Yahweh. Even the believers in Galatia that are going, maybe if we add the law, it'll help. He still died for them. And so I want us to take this together. If you're a child of God, you're welcome to take. If you're not, just stare at the thing and watch others take. Or join us. Accept his offer of grace. Just say, I, I know I need you to, to I know that I need this story to be true, and I'm telling you it is true. It's based on his promises. But as you take the bread, I want you to remember that Jesus endured a lot of junk from us in order to get to this. That's why we break bread. It wasn't just a moment in time. It was a season of historical truth starting with Adam and Eve all the way through the death on the cross that he had to endure, put up with in a way that we would never put up with ourselves. And to that I say thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for putting up with Pastor Mark. Let's take to remember that. Would you just take a moment and thank him for not giving up on you? At the end of his life, 33 and a half years, he's in the upper room with the boys and he's, they're having the Seder service and this is part of that. And he's, he's breaking the bread and he said, this is my body. You're, you don't understand it right now, but this is my body. Then, then he takes the cup and he says, now look, this is my blood. It's spilled for you. He said, you're going to understand this when this is all over. He put up with all of that time and all that history and all that rebellion so that he could on the cross take our sins in his body so that we can in our body take his righteousness. You are, child of God, pure and holy right now. Why? Because God declared you pure and holy at the moment you believed. He promises that you are pure and holy. This is not a religious thing. It's not a Baptist thing. It's not an Assembly of God thing. It's not an evangelical thing. It's a God thing. And he promised that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this morning, no matter what you think of my message, no matter what you think of yourself, if you have called on the name of the Lord, you are saved. 
And that is not based on God's love for you alone. It's based on the promises He made to Himself because He loves you. Let's take this and thank Him for His love. God, I thank you for your love. But even more this morning, and as I'm, I'm working through Galatians, I thank you for your promise you made to Mark. You made a covenant with me that if I would trust on the blood of Jesus Christ, I would be redeemed. And so not based upon my faithfulness, but based upon your promise, I stand before this church this morning pure and holy, as clean as God, because he became as dirty as me. Thank you for the blood of Christ that takes away all of our sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's cool. Promises. People of promise. You are sustained, saved, sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ that was the action that was taken based upon the promises that God made. It has less to do with you and I than we even thought before this service. God bless you guys. At the doors today, we're going to be, uh, we take after communion, we take what's called a benevolence offering. And uh, if you have money in your wallet and you're able to help out, we, we take care of members of our flock that are going through financially difficult times. You don't have to put anything in there, but uh, that's what that's for if you'd like to participate. God bless you guys. Bible study will start in 10 minutes. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.